So we're in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 18. We're going to go ahead and hop right in it because we don't have a lot of time. And so we're going to do it. Um, so let's go ahead and stand as we prepare to read uh, God's word and the reverence of his word this morning. And we're going to read it together. Here we go. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That's the reading of God's word. I, I'm going to talk to you today about obedience, which I've titled Holding On for Dear Life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you for your, your heart towards us, for your spirit that works in us. God, for you and your desire for us to become more and more like Jesus Christ every day. So God, I pray today that you would use these words to inspire us, not just to submit our lives to you, God, but to run after you with everything that we have. God, transform us by your word. God, speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of, one of the things that I, I love to do is to play golf. Yeah, we got some golfers in the room. Yeah, yeah. It is an incredible and challenging sport. I am in no way saying that I am good at it. I, I'm really pretty terrible at it. Um, but I'm trying every day for the past 10 to 12 years to be better at golf, um, to really know, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting there. It's, it's hard. It's hard. But I love it. I don't know what I love about it. Maybe I just love the challenge. Maybe I just love the fact that I get to wear awesome, nice golf clothes, right? Maybe, maybe that's it. You know, you look good, you feel good, you play good. That's how I, how, how I like to say it. I, but I, I spend money on upgrading my clubs. Golf is not a cheap sport, right? It's not. My, my wife probably wishes that I will stop playing golf, but it's like my drug, man. I can't quit it. <laughs> I love golf. And uh, even though I'm not really getting better at it, but one thing that I do to try to get better at it is that I follow some YouTube guys, and I, I follow and I subscribe to their channels because they are really good at golf. And I try my best to, to like, emulate what they're doing. I mean, I am in awe of what they can do because they make it look so simple when it's really so challenging to me. And I try my hardest to, like, watch their videos and I watch them probably once or twice a week and just to try to get some tips and tricks for what they are doing so that I can probably put it in my game so that I can be a better golfer. And I can't say that it's not working, but, 
but I think you guys are understanding what I'm, what I'm trying to say. You, you get my point. Um, we follow people all the time. And we subscribe to their channel. We subscribe to their life because it's something about them and what they do that intrigues us. We are in awe of celebrities. We are in awe of like superstar athletes, and we, we, we are in all kind of the things that they can do and accomplish with their bodies, with their voices, with the things that they say. We follow leaders and, and presidents and in government and people that are own businesses and all of these things. We, we look at them with all because they have something about them that intrigues us, their intellect, their, their wisdom, their, their beauty, their glamour, whatever it is, we are in all of them. And so what do we do? We typically... We follow, we like, we subscribe because we are in awe. We may not say it, but that's what I believe, is that we follow people because we are in awe of what they present towards us that is something that we can't do. And maybe we don't call it fear or trembling, but in reality, that's what it is. We are in fear not a, like, I'm afraid of them, but we, we have this, this fear and this tremble, this awe and this wonder and this reverence for what they do. And so we follow. And I believe this is really what our passage is talking about here today in the beginning of this passage. Paul is talking about o- obedience. He's talking about um, following God. And he's talking about listening to the words that he's saying, listening to the words that, that God has given him to say to the people. But he's making this statement, and it stood out fresh to me as I read it and as I studied this to prepare this morning, when he says in verse 12, to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, some things I want to clear up just real quick. I don't believe I mean, obviously, Paul is not saying that you, you need to work for your salvation. I just want to clear that up. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. He is a huge proponent of, um, and you read through all of his epistles, Paul is always talking about uh, we are saved by grace and by grace alone, not by our works. And so this is to clear that up real quick. In this passage, I believe the salvation that Paul is talking about is not a salvation of regeneration, of being born again. This, this passage, I believe Paul is talking about, as Pastor Eddie talks about weeks ago, is that He's talking about something specific, something that they are asking or looking to be delivered from. And ultimately what he's talking about here is this salvation of sanctification. There's this daily deliverance that that we can experience in our life as we become or try to become more and more like Christ on a daily basis. And what Paul is saying here is is that basically for us as believers, for, for us as believers to begin to appropriate the salvation and deliverance that God has for us on a daily basis, that there's something that we have to do, that we have to put forth some type of effort and some type of energy, and we have to work to some degree, work it out, and what that working out is really obedience. That's what it is. And what I was challenged with was this, though, is that it's really easy for us to follow other people because we are in awe of what they do. But I was challenged with why sometimes does it feel like it's difficult for us as believers to follow God and to obey the things that God calls us to obey? And is it possible? And it's the reason maybe why Paul put this passage in here and said it the way that he said it. It's because 
the foundational under, my foundational understanding or fundamental understanding of, of obedience was rocked this week because I believe that the foundation of it is fear and trembling. Like for us to really obey God, there has to be something inside of us that says, God is awesome. There's something other about who God is. There's something big about who God is. There's something different about him, that he's, that he's holy and that he's perfect. And so my question that I, that I, I wrestled with and I'm asking from you today is, is, how do you actually see God? How do you actually view God? Who is God to you? Is, is, he, is he God the creator? Is he God the one who spoke this world into existence with his very words? Is he God who freed, who called his people? They ended up in slavery, but he freed them and he freed them through the Red Sea. Is is he that God that displays his power and his might towards his people? Is he the God who promised that he would send his son Jesus and then fulfilled that promise and then sent his son Jesus who came to live and die and then he resurrected him from the grave three days later? Is he that God? Is he that God that overcame the grave, that overcame the world, that overcame sin and defeated death, Satan? Is he that God to you? And that's the question that I'm asking because that's the question that I had to ask myself. Why is it that I can have this fear of other things but not necessarily have this fear of God? And maybe, maybe the reason that we don't obey God sometimes is because we have forgotten who God is. And I think I'm just here today, I believe, just to begin this message by starting off saying and reminding you of who God is. And that's the question that you have to ask yourself, who is God to you? Who is God to me? Is God my Savior? Is God my Redeemer? Is God my Healer? Is God my Deliverer? Who is God? Is God gracious? Is God merciful? Is God good? Is God faithful? I could continue to ask all of these questions, and I don't believe I'm even scratching the surface of who God is. But what I love about the reality of really beginning to ask these questions, and I begin to understand and have this, this, this awe of who God is and of his power and of his might and of his authority and everything that exists and who he is and it is aimed toward us but it's not meant for us to fear him in the sense of trying to scare us into submission but God's God's ability and his authority and his love and everything that is expressed towards us is really meant to encourage us to embrace him to run towards him to grab a hold of him to obey him, to abide in him, to live in him, to stay in him. Everything that he does is meant for that. That's why it says this in this passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You guys know this passage very well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Think about that for a moment. 
Paul is talking for 11 chapters about the mercy of God, about the grace of God, about everything that God has extended towards his people. And he says the proper response is what we've been talking about all day. The proper response to who God is, is to lay your life down. Everybody okay this morning? I know I'm talking about obedience and holding on to God. It's not, it's not a pleasant word, but I need you to hear it this morning freshly because I believe that God, is not, God isn't calling us to obey him. I think God's just calling us to love him. And the way, the way Jesus talks about it, it, to love him is to obey his commands. <clears throat> so here's, here's the deal. Here's the interesting thing, though. <clears throat> our ability to obey God and to work out our salvation and deliverance actually comes from God himself. Verse 13 says this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's not by my own strength that I can actually obey God, but it's because of God who is working in me. I don't have the ability to actually do the things God wants me to do, but God begins to work in me so that I can do the things that God has called me to do. And this is really exciting for us. Like God works in our life. God is engaged. That's what this word means. He's engaged in our life. He is energizing our, our walk with him. He's like, he is, he's like the energizer bunny, right? He's, he's put the battery inside of us and he keeps going and going and going and he looks at us and he's engaged. And I don't know if anybody should be more excited than you guys that, that God gives you that ability. Like God looks at us and he says, you guys have the potential to follow me, but you lack the potency. So what I'm going to do is actually give you my power so that you can actually walk this thing out. And this is really encouraging because God doesn't leave us to do it on our own. And he engages with us so that we can live this thing out with the intense purpose, purpose of taking us from one stage to the next. From one act of obedience to the next, God works in us. From one stage of life to the next, Paul says it like this, from glory to glory, that's God working in us to actually do the things he has called us to do. Like sometimes we look at the end result. You may look at the end result of my life, and the reality is that the reality is that what you see is the result of God working in me. What you don't see it was the 23 years ago on March 6th of 2000 when I gave my life to Jesus, who I was before that, right? And God working in my life and changing my life. What you see is a result of me standing here, which is literally a miracle. But even 10 years ago, I was a different person. Even five years ago, I was a different person. Even last night, I was a different person. (laughs) And what was impossible for me to do back then is now made possible now because God himself is working in my life. And that's encouraging because if God works in my life, worked in my life to accomplish the things in my life, to help me overcome some things in my life, to deliver me in my life, if he did it then in that way, working in me, won't God do the same thing now? Anything that I'm facing right now, won't God continue to work in me to begin to act and to work out things in my life so that I can fulfill God's good purpose. How do you overcome the things in your life? It is because God is going to work in your life. How do we become better husbands and and fathers and wives and mothers? 
How do we become better employees and employers and brothers and sisters in Christ in this building, becoming more and more like Christ? How do we do it? God working in us. John 15 and 5 says this, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. How about that? Now, some of you might read this and you might think, great, I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to let God do what God's going to do. And if I mess up, then that's because God didn't do the work, you know. But I don't believe this is what Paul is saying in this passage. Let me just be clear. Some of you are saying, hey, man, I'm just going to let go and let God. And that's not what this passage is saying. I believe there is some true aspect of letting go and letting God. But I believe what Paul is really saying is get God and get going. And let God begin to work in you. And then you begin to work out the things that God is working in you in your life. Right. He's going to work in you. He's going to give you the desire to obey. He's going to give you the will to obey. He's going to give you the words to obey. And God's going to give you the fuel to obey. That's what this whole point was, the fuel to obey. If you're following, the first point was foundation, the foundation of obedience. This is the fuel to obey. And here's the deal. You're going, you're going to need the fuel to obey. Because this next point is a doozy where Paul says, do everything, in verse 14, without grumbling or arguing. Mm, I hear a lot of ums, right? <laughs> and you felt that. Yeah. Do everything without complaining. In other versions, it says, do everything without complaining and arguing. I first read this and I thought, hmm, okay, I think I can stop complaining. I think I, think I can stop arguing. But then I read it again, and it said, do everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Woo! <laughs> you definitely need the Holy Spirit to do everything without arguing, without complaint. Listen, I, I wake up in the morning. I'm 42 years old. I'm, I'm a young 42, though. But I wake up. I wake up in the morning, and I complain. <laughs> complain I didn't get enough sleep. I complain about the weather. I, I just complain. My, and I wake up and my body is in conflict with me. Like, I, I, I don't have to do anything to actually produce argument in my life. My body argues with me when I wake up. <laughs> How am I supposed to, to do this without complaint? It seems impossible to me, especially when we begin to involve other people in our life. I'm not talking about just complaining with myself or having inner conflict. We're talking about not complaining as we work together with other people. And I mean, is this what Paul means by working out our salvation, right? right? I feel like this is like just working on my last nerves, not on my salvation. But it's definitely what Paul is actually admonishing the believers in Philippi. He's saying, look, to display their attempts to walk out their faith and work it out, do that together with other believers, without complaint or without conflict with one another, 
Because if you are complaining and you're grumbling against one another and you're arguing, then that's a bad look on you. That's a bad look on God. That's a bad look to the world because that's what the world is doing. You turn on the news and it's like, how are you supposed to be a light in the darkness when this is what you're doing? It's the same thing. But in terms of obedience and holding on to God, complaint which leads to conflict doesn't really mix well with compliance. It's like oil and water. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a house where like if I, if my mom told me to do something and if she heard even just a hint of, you guys, you guys grew up in a house like me. If she heard just even a hint of grumble in my voice, or if I walked down the hall too loudly, (laughs) or if I closed the door with just too much intensity, I would have went to see Jesus. At a very early age. They don't mix well. They didn't mix well in my house, that's, that's for sure. But what is, what is complaint? complaint? Complaint really says, like, I can do it better. I can do it better than how it's currently being done. We complain to God and we're like, God, I just don't like, I don't like the, the, the ingredients that you are using to mix this cake of my life. Like I would use different ingredients, God. This doesn't taste like I want it to taste. This doesn't look like I want it to look. This doesn't smell like I want it to smell. Like I would do it differently. I would bake it differently. And it ends up being typically, our complaint typically ends up in conflict ends up with conflict with God, and then it ends up with us not actually doing the thing that God wants us to do. And what we end up doing is basically what we want to do, which is normally outside of the will of God. And how is that any different than the world doing their own thing outside of the will of God? How can we be light? How can we be light in the darkness when we're complaining and doing our own thing? What I love about the fact that it's Paul writing this, it makes sense. You think about how Paul ended up in this church in Philippi. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, he's on mission, doing his thing, and then he was headed somewhere else, and he has this dream and this vision of this man in Macedonia that says, Paul, come this way. We need to hear the gospel. And so what Paul does is he doesn't complain about the fact that he has to go and do this, this new thing, but him and his compadres, they, they figure out, they, and they come to this reason and say, hey, you know, we're going to go do this thing for the gospel. And they go and they, they go to a prayer meeting on a riverbank, and this is how the church gets started. And then ultimately, they have this, this little girl that they cast a spirit out of, and casting it out ends up putting them in jail. And so you're watching this story unfold of how the church happens, and they begin in this, in this moment, begin to pray in the prison at midnight while they're locked in chains. And what happens is the, the, the chains fall off of them. And they begin to get free. And then as they are freed, everyone else around them, their chains come off. And then the the jailer who is concerned that he's going to lose his life, he's actually going to take his own life because he doesn't want to get caught. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, stop, don't do it. And then he leads this man to the Lord. And this is how this church gets started, is in the middle of Paul actually doing something that he hadn't designed to do, but God called him to do. And then he ends up in prison for doing the thing that God told him to do, but what we don't see Paul doing in the moment of his imprisonment 
is complaining. What we see Paul in the middle of his imprisonment, in the middle of something that he didn't cause, he's just in the will of God, but we do see Paul not complaining, we see him praising God. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. And there may be some of us in this place right now that may be in a place very similar to Paul. Like you feel like you've been doing all the right things, but you don't necessarily understand why God has you in the place that God has you. And for most of us, if you're like me, there is a propensity to complain about it. To be in conflict with God about it. But what if you were like Paul, who had, a, who had a reason, I would say, or he could have been very okay with saying, God, I don't understand with why you had me here. Where he could have complained, or it could have led to them blaming one another while they're in this place. It's because of you. If you had told me not to cast it out, we wouldn't have cast it out. If you had, had told us not to go to Macedonia, we wouldn't have done it. Like, they could have been complaining to one another, but what you see them in the darkest hour in prison is that they aren't complaining, but they are complimenting God. What if that was our posture in the middle of a place where we don't understand what's going on? But in our obedience and in our heart to hold on to God, we begin to not complain, but we begin to compliment him. We begin to praise him. We begin to tell God how awesome he is. What if the breakthrough that you are looking for in your current situation, where you're looking for God to deliver, is not found in God doing something really miraculous, but it's found in you finding God and perspective in, your, in that moment through praise and through worship? What if that was the posture and the attitude that we took as a believer to say, God, I'm going to obey you. And God, you were great. And God, you were wonderful. And God, you are magnificent. God, there's no one like you. God, you're perfect in all of your ways. God, I'm going to follow you with everything that I have. God, I love you. God, thank you that you love me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. What if you begin to do that? And what happens is your perspective begins to change. And then God gives you in that moment freedom because you now have peace because you can trust him. You now have hope. You now have joy. There's something that changes in that environment. What if that, what God is trying to do is actually bring you closer to him? We can't do that if we're complaining. We can't do that if we're arguing and in conflict with God. That's the foe of obedience. I got a lot of F's today. That's the foe of our obedience. And I'm saying we need to defeat the foe of our obedience. Here's one way that you can do it. Verse 16, it says this. Hold, part B, as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see that? As you hold firmly to the word of life. How do you defeat this foe of complaint? is that you feed your spirit man. Like God fuels us with his spirit. We talked about in verse 13. And then he feeds that flame with the wood of his word. And his word is our food that we hold on to. That word hold firmly means to commit to, to hold out front. Not, not to hold behind, but to put it in front of you. Never actually let it get 
behind you. Never lose sight of it. Pay attention to it like your life dependent on it because your life actually does depend on it. It's the word of life. It's the word of life. Can you just repeat this? Word of life. life. Right? And we could be talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. John 1 says this. And uh, John 14, he's the the way, the truth, and the life. That Like, hey, look, let's hold on firmly to Jesus, the person of Jesus. But I think specifically what Paul is talking about here is the word of God. That he has given us his word, the scriptures, very active and living words to actually live by. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to actually understand the words that he speaks to us through his word. It's incredible when you think about it because it's almost like God wants us to win. Like God wants us to be victorious in this life. Right? That God wants us to actually be successful in this life because he's left us the playbook for us to study. And he's given us the wisdom and intellect to understand it. And if you're familiar with football and the quarterback, we have the helmet on and we have the coach telling us in our ear which play to run because he's looking out and he can see which defense that you're facing. That is the word of life that we need for us in our life. That's why we constantly preach, read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. Don't just leave it up to a Sunday morning experience. It's the primary way that we hear from God. It's the primary way that we wage war against the enemy. It's our light in dark places. It contains the very promises of God, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It is the word of life. I don't have a lot of time, so this is what I'll say. Read Psalm 19. Read Psalm 119. And grab a hold of of everything that... The psalmist talks about as far as what is offered to us through the word. As Peter says it like this, he says it like this, that everything you need for life and godliness is found in the knowledge of him. Hold on to the word of life. And lastly, Here's the focus for our obedience, focus for holding on. It says in verse 17, it says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is describing is, if you read in Numbers, I believe it's Numbers 15 or 16, don't quote me on that, but it, it talks about sacrifices, like free will sacrifices and offerings that they would make, and they would put the sacrifice on the altar. But the sacrifice itself wasn't complete until the actual drink or wine was poured on top of the sacrifice. And what Paul is saying here is he is literally probably about to die, and he knows it. He said, man, this is the, one of the last acts of my life is, is not going to be complete unless it's actually poured out for you so that you can, like, ultimately sacrifice your life for Jesus. And I want you to hear what, what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I am giving my life for the gospel and for, for God and for your growth in the gospel. I'm pouring out my life for that. So his focus is not on himself 
while he's in prison and about to die, his focus is, I'm pouring out my life so that you can grow in Christ. I was thinking about when uh, we, went, we went to Cuba this, uh, this summer. And if anybody knows, going to Cuba in July is probably not a smart idea. Um, because it is 1,000 degrees and the humidity is unbelievable. And most places we went to did not have AC. And so, as you can imagine, it's very uncomfortable, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But I remember, like, on our, one of our last days, I remember being in Cuba and not really having anything left. Like, the, the week itself had pretty much drained me of everything that I had. But I remember, as, I, as we were going door to door and inviting people to come to church that night, so that they could see Jesus and meet Jesus and give their life to Jesus and be healed and all these different things we were expecting God to do. I didn't have anything left to give, but as I was walking up these stairs, knocking on doors, going house to house, the one thing that I remembered, or one thing that God spoke to me in that moment was that the best thing that I have to offer in this moment was Jesus. If I didn't have anything else, all I had was to offer Jesus. And as we went door to door, and I had nothing left, there, was, there, were, there were moments where when all I could do was just stand in the background and just begin to pray and say, God, I just need you to do something. I need you to do something. Help me. And let me tell you, as I poured out my life for Jesus in, in, in those moments, with nothing else to give. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any, any wisdom to offer. It was just Jesus. We began to pray for people. And as we prayed for people in that moment, offering up everything that we had so that they can get to know Jesus and not us, because we looked a mess and it was rough. <laughs> people got healed. Literally healed. People came to that service, got saved. And God spoke through us in ways that we had never really experienced in our life. And it was all because it wasn't about us, but it was about God, his glory, and their growth in God. And so we just poured out our life so that they could meet Jesus, so that they could know Jesus. And this is what I'm talking about. This is our focus. It's not on the material. It's on the eternal. Get it off of ourselves. Get it onto God, onto God's glory, and for the growth of other people. That's what makes our faith so much different than the rest of the faith that we see in our society. We have one that's so different, so countercultural. When everything says me, myself, and I, me, 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 my, 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 we have one that has a leader, Jesus, who laid down his life for his people, set the ultimate example for us as believers to follow. One that in Hebrew says that he, he endured shame on the cross for the joy that was set before him. It wasn't about him. It was about God and it was about us that he laid down his life for us. And that's what I'm asking today. Shift our focal point just a little bit, right? Not on us, but the focus of our obedience is for other people. I pour out my life as a drink offering to my sons, not so that they would be a better representation of, of our brand, which is Thomas More. I don't pour out my life for them so that they would have a better life than me. That I do, 
But my ultimate goal for pouring out my life and letting my kids see me worship Jesus, letting my kids see me read my Bible, letting my kids see me relate to God, and letting my kids know about God and, and, and relating to them in that way, I pour it out so that they can see God for themselves, so that they can see Jesus in me, they can see Jesus working in me, so that they would have this understanding and this desire to have this experience for themselves. I pour out my life for my, for my wife. I love her like Christ loves the church. I sacrifice my life for her, not so that she would submit to me. I pour it out for her, and I pour it out in a way that the Bible prescribes because I want her to see Jesus in me. I want her to see it and then surrender herself even more to the God that I'm surrendered to, and then she would follow me, right? I pour out my life for you, church, here. Not that you would follow me. Pastor Eddie pours out his life, not that you would follow him, but that you would follow us as we follow Christ. That you would surrender your life to Jesus. That you would run towards him. That you would repent. And that you would hold on to him for dear life. And that you would give everything that you have for him. And then you would turn around. And then you would pour out your life for your own family. For your own wife. For your own husband. For your kids. For your family. For your neighbors. For your co-workers. For this church. This is what I believe is really awesome. Is that what if we, as a church, as a people, begin to live like this? What if we begin to hold on to God's word, begin to reverence him with awe and wonder, begin to obey him, begin to love him, begin to stop complaining and walking in conflict with one another? What if we were to begin to live out our lives and pour it out for other people? I think it would result in more than just a healthy church environment more than just healthy home environments, thriving work environments, although I believe those things will happen. But family, I believe that doing it like this results in revival, creates an atmosphere for God to move and for revival to happen right here, right here in this building. Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47 says it like this. Is it up on the screen? It's coming. There it is. It's like magic. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It says in 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what I'm believing for in this house. That's what I'm believing for, for this community, for this Route 7 corridor. But it starts with us making a, a conscious decision based on understanding who God is, that I'm going to follow him and I'm going to obey him. I'm going to step directly into his will. And here's the awesome thing about, about God as I close today. So reading this book, I recommend it. It's called uh, by Rich Velotis, and uh, it's called Deeply Formed Life. And he talks about God and his presence and, and having the opportunity to turn towards God. And he says every, 
every day you have an opportunity to turn, to turn towards God. And it's amazing because it's God, as we read today, it's God who gives us the ability to turn towards him. But even if you miss turning towards God at 9 a.m., and God prompts you to turn towards him at 11 a.m., praise God, God has worked in you this opportunity that you now have to turn towards him. God is at work in your life. And if you missed the 11 o'clock window, maybe you got a 3 o'clock window or a 7 o'clock window, but every opportunity is presented to you to turn towards God because God is working in your life. For some of us, that's, that's all you needed to hear today because maybe you've been condemned and thinking that, you know what, I haven't read my Bible this week. But even the, the, the thought of actually saying, I haven't read my Bible and having a desire to read your Bible is a desire that God has put in your heart. It's not something that you have in and of yourself. That is God working in you. So I'm saying today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. God is working in you. God is speaking to you. If anything in your heart is, is, is inspired to some degree to turn towards God today, and begin to obey him. That's the Holy Spirit working in you today. So I want to pray to that end as we close. Father, we thank you so much for you working in us. If there's anyone here today in this place that is hearing this message and you're, 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 you're hearing the Holy Spirit prick your heart, God speaking, said, I want more of you. I want you to live for me. If that's you today, would you raise your hand in this place? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand in the back. Once it's up, you can, you can put it down. I'm a, I'm a, so raising your hand doesn't, doesn't do anything here except for the fact that you're acknowledging that, that God is speaking. And as you can see, I'm actually raising my hand here in this place. Your eyes are, are bowed and you know, whatever, but I need more of God. If that's you, if you need, just need more of God, you want to grow in God. If there's you in this place, would you raise your hand? This is my, this is, just keep your hands raised in this place. Father, I thank you for the, the ministry of your, your Holy Spirit here today. God, I thank you that you are, are here today not just for a pomp and circumstance, but to do a work in our life. And you're here today specifically to, to encourage us to embrace you more, to encourage us to run towards you by your Holy Spirit, to lay down our life for you, to recognize how awesome you are, how great you are, how loving you are, how gracious you are, and surrender our life to you and submit to you without complaint for where we are, we're just praising you for who you are. So God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit here. God, begin, begin to overflow in their life. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, that you would work and work and work in them, that you would give them new desires. Freshly awaken our ears and our eyes to be able to see and hear you more clearly today. Thank you, God, that you would help us to endure, to persevere, and to run this race that you called us to run. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.